Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Nicole and this is Aspen Talks Health. Today I'm joined by Aaron Perry. He is the founder of Why on Earth and the creator of the podcast Stewardship and Sustainability. He's also a speaker and a dad and the author of this amazing book, Why on Earth. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks, Nicola. I'm so grateful that you're here. I am grateful to be here. It's Good. so much fun. <laughs> Good. So today we're talking about massively mobilizing sustainability and particularly soil health. Yeah. Very interesting. Before we go there, let's talk. You are, your mission is to massively mobilize sustainability. What does that exactly mean? Okay. So, you know, what I have found traveling all around the country, interacting with folks from all sorts of backgrounds and lifestyles is that we're mostly convinced that we've got some substantial challenges right in front of us as a society. We might not all agree exactly as to which those are or how we'd prioritize them, but most of us agree we've got some big challenges. And I've been committed to working to address some of these challenges really since high school and have found over the years that so many of the opportunities and challenges we have at the individual level are totally hitched to things at the global scale. And so to massively mobilize sustainability means uh, activating, inspiring, catalyzing the changes at the grassroots level that once at critical mass necessarily mean our economy and other systems absolutely transform toward stewardship and regeneration. Yeah, we're going to talk about the power of consumer demand later because it, we have more power than I think we realize we, as we individuals. We wield the power of Jedis. That's <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, first tell us your story and why you created Why on Earth. Well, it's a bit of a funny story and it actually uh, relates on some level to this valley. Uh, some colleagues and I, a number of years back, launched an enterprise to recycle cooking oil from virtually all the restaurants and grocery stores throughout Colorado. And then we also had a food distribution operation connecting farmers and artisan cheesemakers and value-added food vendors to restaurants, grocery stores, ski resorts, and others, many of whom our audience would be very familiar with. And through that process of essentially seeing how we're, as a society, consuming food, how we're sourcing food, and what's happening with food waste, it really opened my eyes that, my goodness, so many of us are really oblivious to what's going on with our food, something we're putting in our bodies every day. And we're probably also really oblivious as to the impacts on the planet, locally and halfway around the globe. So this book was the result of meditating on all of that and having some deep quiet time after shutting down the food distribution business and asking the divine, what's next? And it hit me, you could say like a ton of bricks or like a wave on the coast of the Pacific Ocean that our society really needs help connecting some of these dots. And, and that's, that's really the purpose and the energy behind everything we're doing with Why on Earth. Hmm. I love that you're connecting local farmers to the restaurants. I think that's so key. Part of yeah. global warming is the transportation of all this food. Yeah. We're contributing so many greenhouse gases from all this transportation. Yeah. So it, and we're not getting the quality nutrition from the foods if it's being picked for weeks before it's actually riped and then shipped yeah. across the world. Yeah. It, we're not getting the true value we should be getting out of every bite. It's, re it's really interesting. So I, I would say first and foremost, how we're growing the food 
whether it's organic or biodynamic, is probably going to be the biggest driver as to whether it's truly nutritious and vivifying for us or not. In some cases, a lot of what we call food is actually poisonous for us. Right. And the way we're impacting climate, atmosphere, water, and soil ecology in general is very much a product of how we're growing our food. So transportation is an important piece of that picture, but it's only a piece. And it, it, what's really funny, I was just the other day talking with folks at Equal Exchange. It's this global network of cooperatively owned uh, farmer communities doing coffee, chocolate, tea, bananas, and avocados, all things that don't grow in the Roaring Fork Valley, basically. And when we're shipping full-loaded boats, our energy requirements per ton of food are actually orders of magnitude lower than that, that final 20 miles of driving with a truck or whatever it might be. So it's a more complex picture on one level as to whether it's local or not local. And one of the things I emphasize any opportunity I get is that the most fundamental thing is how we're growing the food. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, I've, from my studies, the nutrition value uh, is significantly diminished on the conventional way of growing. And it's based on the quality of the soil, but also yeah. the pesticides and the herbicides and the, the dangerous products that are going into our foods. Yeah. And that's just produce, let alone processed foods that are not even food, really. It's, it's yeah. the most, if you look at most processed foods, they have three ingredients. Some form of wheat, some form of corn, be it high fructose corn syrup, and some form of oil, usually soybean or a palm or something like that. Right. So corn, wheat, and, and, and soy are the, the, the three commodities that were most uh, subsidized yeah. by the government. And so they found all these different ways to ma recreate those three products and yeah. call them food. Plus the preservatives, we'll get into it. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it, what we're doing to our food is, is dramatic. You know, it's so true. And I think one of the things that's it's really important that we each understand that our food system, this surplus of corn, soy, wheat, has been a central part of our Cold War strategy for over half a century. The Cold War is over. I know that. We know that. But we're still treating our food system with the same underlying tenets as if we were fighting global communism 40 years ago. <laughs> so why did we get into such chemically intensive, massive production of these uh, commodity crops? Part of the reason was to keep our chemical industry alive after the war. A lot of that was used during the war for munitions and other wartime needs. The other part was to have such an abundance, such a surplus of commodity crops that we could control developing nations all around the world and have a greater influence in the balance versus our cousins in the Soviet Union. All right, that's the reality that we're dealing with right now. Wow. And the chemicals that they're using, is that what, like the nitrogen they're putting in the soil now? Is that what you're referring to? Exactly. Uh, the nitrogen the pesticides was also? a primary input into... Uh, bomb and munitions manufacturing during World War II. It has now become the primary input into agricultural production in the form of fertilizer. Uh, many of the uh, chemical and pharmaceutical companies uh, whose names we may recognize are uh, deeply tied to a lot of the chemical uh, 
warfare uh, components and constituents that were used in both the First and Second World War. Uh, and even pass that with Agent Orange in the Vietnam War and so forth. Uh, so this is the reality. This is the story most of us perhaps haven't heard told. And it, it's the reality we have to understand. This is the reason why, this is the backstory as to why so many of us are buying, paying good dollars for poisons that we're putting in our body. Right. And how is this affecting people's health? Oh, it, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Uh, I think we all know somebody, probably... Each of us knows too many people suffering from a variety of ailments, whether it's cancer, some sort of uh, cognitive or emotional disorder, uh, could be gastrointestinal on its face. What we're increasingly realizing through the science is that so much of these various ailments and disorders, of course, is related to our health overall, and especially the health of the microbiome in our digestive systems, yeah. right? So many of these pesticides that we're applying uh, broad scale worldwide uh, to conventional agriculture, their primary job is to kill little critters. Right. And so once they're in our body, they're essentially killing the little critters that keep us healthy, that are the foundation of our immune systems, that uh, signal serotonin production, that uh, maintain our emotional equanimity through the ups and downs of life's day-to-day uh, -day trials and, uh, and exhilarations. So we have to understand how these dots are connected. I'm convinced that uh, unless we understand this, we're probably not going to end up in the kind of future we're hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Each one of those ingredients also I wanted to mention is the wheat, corn, and soy have, have been linked to diabetes. Yeah. Right. The, the the high fat in the oil is is causes um, into uh, what's the, I'm just blanking um, insulin resistance. There yes. we go. Insulin resistance. Um, the the wheat has uh, they found uh, opiates, so it makes you addicted to it, and it's yeah. also very high in the glycemic index. Yeah. I mean, it's and the, of course the corn high fructose corn syrup is. is bomb of sugar right and and triggers that dopamine reaction which then you want more of it yeah so uh, fascinating you know one of the things I, I heard described about our society is that uh, of course we have an obesity epidemic as well so we we are consuming arguably way more calories than is good for us right meanwhile those calories are not coming in foods that are delivering the nutrients, the vitamins, the micronutrition that is essential for our well-being. So in a strange paradox, we are uh, actually malnourished as a society when it comes to those nutrients, and we are meanwhile consuming way more uh, raw calories than is needed. Right. Protein, fat, and, and yeah, and sugars. And sugars, yeah. But not phytochemicals and vitamins and minerals. Exactly. Right. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, soil and the microbiome, actually, that's in soil, and why yeah. is it important to preserve that? I'm drinking some phytochemicals right now. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so this is a tea I made last night that has organic and or biodynamic nettles, licorice, uh, mint, and a little calendula flower. And th th those plant pieces, leaves, flowers, have come from organic farms in Colorado, one right here down valley called Sustainable Settings. My friends, Brooke and Rose, have been doing amazing work there for many years. Another uh, closer to Boulder. And it turns out that what's essential with all of this is because these plants were grown in very robust soil, 
that means they were grown in this relationship with millions, if not billions, of microorganisms that are day in and day out delivering nutrients to the plants, feeding them essentially, in exchange for the sugars the plants are making using sunlight. And it's because these plants are coming from these amazing, organic, rich, fertile soils that they have a much higher uh, nutrition profile than many of the other things we might be eating or drinking. And interestingly, Rudolf Steiner, who created the biodynamic method of organic farming about 100 years ago, uh, 97 to be exact, he understood this very intimate connection and analog between soil microbiology and the microbiome in our digestive systems. And he understood that you require them both to be healthy for a community, a, a culture to be healthy. And I think once we see that, un understand that clearly, a whole lot of the solutions to many of our other problems will, will follow. Good. I want to go more into that, but how, what is soil building then? Is that, are you implanting these microbiomes or are you just kind of cultivating the yeah. environment for them to grow naturally? Okay, so soil building is a marvelous universe, really, of activities, of actions that are being taken uh, worldwide. Okay. And not only is this happening at large scales, the scales of nations, the scales of large corporations and non-governmental organizations. This is happening at the scale of the family, at the scale of the home, in the backyard, with the compost bin, etc. And in this little book, the Soil Stewardship Handbook, we, we go into the key points as to why this matters. It turns out one of the things that occurs when we're soil building is we are collaborating with the plants and the microorganisms in the soil to help pull carbon from the atmosphere and put it back in the ground. We could say where a lot of it belongs. Since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we have increased the concentration of carbon in our atmosphere by some 43%. That's a massive increase. And it turns out as we increase carbon content in soil worldwide by 10%, that same amount would sequester all of the fossil carbon we have released since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Wow. A 10% increase. So at COP21, the global community came together, the Paris Climate Talks, and identified soil building as one of the key strategies we have as a global community to decarbonize our atmosphere and get it back to the levels, pre-industrial levels. Uh, so, of course, this means massive scale efforts, for example, along the southern border of the Sahara Desert. There are several countries and NGOs conspiring in a good way together to create soil with compost, with nutrient inputs, with plants that grow a lot of matter that will go right back into the soil building process at the end of the season. At the largest scales, we're seeing it like that. We're also seeing hundreds, thousands, millions of families and households with little school kids and old great-grandparents composting and doing these other activities in their own yards and neighborhoods to build soil. You tap on something. I never understood why people rake their leaves. The soil needs those leaves as nourishment, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's wiser to leave them. Our farmer friends, yeah, <laughs> leave the leaves. Our farmer friends know that the organic materials that our plants and trees are producing are a critical input and nourishment to the 
ongoing fertility of the space, whether it's your backyard or a larger farm. And I remember when I was working for Brook and Rose at Sustainable Settings years ago, whenever someone in the community had extra mulch or tree waste or leaf waste they wanted to get rid of, we were so happy to get it and receive it because we knew it would feed the soil. And yeah, one of the last things we should be doing with our leaves in the autumn is paying somebody to burn fossil energy to ship it somewhere else. If we have a compost pile or some spot in the yard where we can uh, let it build up, the critters will show up, the microorganisms will show up and do their thing and convert that right into soil, which nourishes the trees and all the other organisms right there in the, in the yard also. Yeah, and that would contribute to the 10% we need, right? It would. If all it of would. our lawns were more healthy. That's right. And, and, you know, more and more of us are transforming lawn into food production, into permacultures, into polycultures. There's a whole lot we can do right in our own yards and neighborhoods to deal with climate change, to help increase the nutrient content of our foods, and to improve our quality of lives, actually, by spending time outside listening to the birds, getting our hands in the soil. We know just touching living organic soil improves serotonin production. It does all this stuff, measurable stuff in the neurobiochemistry of our bodies that helps us have a, a better experience day to day. Yeah, I love that. How can we detox the environment more? Yeah, this is so important. We, we've been basically since the first and second world wars, we've been waging a a chemical war on the whole planet and on ourselves. So there's so much we can do. Food is a great place to start, food and beverage. Of course, there's also our household cleaning products. I know this is one of your favorites. There's what we're using on our bodies for hygiene, right? So how often do we wake up and jump in the shower and rub carcinogens all over our body and maybe then rinse off and then get out of the shower, dry off, and then to moisturize ourselves Perhaps we'll rub some more carcinogens on our body, right? Well, there, there's a whole other way we can go about this. With natural and organic uh, ingredients, we can do that very same ritual every day in a way that's nourishing our bodies and not contributing to diseases like cancer and so forth. So we get to detox right in our bathroom, right in our kitchen, right in our homes. Of course, in our yards, back to our yards, the last thing we should be doing is spraying any sort of chemicals yeah on the yards, especially if, if it's dealing with things like dandelions, which honeybees and butterflies need for food. When we're spraying chemicals on the yards, not only are we exposing all those creatures to really harmful substances, but our pets, our children, the neighbor's pets and children are also getting exposed. Um, so it's you know not too hard to connect these dots. We have massive opportunity and need to detoxify. It starts right at home. Yeah. The industries will follow, right? We stop buying the poisonous stuff, we buy more of the healthy stuff, the industries will follow. Yeah, that, yeah. My mother's dog has been having seizures, and she figured out that is one area in her neighborhood where they spray, they must be spraying some kind of Roundup or glyphosate, glyphosate yep, right? Yep. And it, since she's been keeping him away from those like yellow patches, yeah. no problems. Yeah. And the day he went on that and like was sniffing and licking all around, he had five seizures in one day. Yeah, you know, it's at, often at, at grocery stores, often in uh, neighborhoods and communities that have HOAs, you'll see that decisions have been made by a small group of people to spray glyphosate all over. You'll often see in the curbs, the medians, a bunch of river rock or 
other hard landscaping with a yellow or rusty stain on it, that yeah. often indicates that glyphosate's been sprayed there. And it basically means we are poisoning our communities. Yeah. And guess what? We're paying to do it. Yeah. Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense ecologically or economically. Yeah, and, and the other one that's really important for me to tap on is the animal products, the livestock production, the way yeah. we're raising animals yeah. now. Again, we're, they're on an unnatural diet of the corn and mm -hmm. soy, both genetically modified. Yeah. Those, they're genetically modified so they can withstand large, vast amounts of pesticides. Yeah. All of that's draining out, going into our oceans, then it's yeah. ending up in the fish, but it's also bioaccumulating in the meat and, and milk of cows and pigs. Yeah. And so, so important, so important to shift towards a plant-based diet that's organic, local, more fresh and, and raw and ripe. Yes. So for yourself, for the environment, and of course for the animals. Fleshy animals, whether it's bovine like cows or fish like tuna or primates like humans we bioaccumulate the poisons in, in such a dramatic way most of us probably would qualify as hazardous waste in our own bodies uh, because we have accumulated so much toxicity through our food and through these other uh, exposures to chemicals and toxins i have so many friends who are vegan i have other friends who are regenerative farmers and there's this very interesting discussion underway about veganism or eating things like grass-fed beef. And from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm mixed up. I'm part Mohawk Indian, I'm part Slovenian, and some other uh, European uh, ancestry in there too. So I can really appreciate that we have different cultural understandings and uh, try to be as respectful as possible to folks who have different convictions around food. The one thing I would say is utterly clear, for virtually all of us, eating more organic fruits and vegetables is gonna be healthful regardless. Yeah. It's gonna be beneficial to the planet regardless. And for those of us who do eat some meat, go for the regenerative, go for the non-industrial. There may be debates there to be had, robust debates to be sure, but whatever we're doing, we should not be eating any of the commercial, industrial, horrifically inhumane, chemical-based animal production, egg production, dairy production. We just shouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. And it is, just to your point, not only building up toxins in our bodies, it is also building up toxins throughout the environment. The dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, hundreds or thousands of square miles, uh, attributed yeah. directly to what we call agriculture in the American Midwest. Yeah, and uh, good. Now I want to get to the consumer demand because it is so important. With every dollar you spend, you're supporting these practices. So it's so important to know what you're spending on, correct? It is so important. And I, I think it's one of the first kind of grown-up things I've impressed on my uh, now basically adult children and they're both wonderful. My daughter's 21, my son's uh, soon to be 17. We each are voting dozens, if not hundreds of times a day. One meal at any restaurant is necessarily sending dozens of signals out into the marketplace planet-wide. If you're getting a meal, say, at a fast food joint, you're saying to the marketplace, you're saying, I want more commodity beef or pork or chicken 
I want more pesticides. I want more toxic chemicals for myself and for the planet. Thank you. Here's yeah. some money. At the same time, if instead you are, let's say, purchasing some fresh veggies and fruits from your local farmer and preparing a meal at home, maybe with a little extra greens from your own backyard garden, enjoying that with friends and family, all that signaling, all that purchase to that local farmer said, I would like you to produce more organic fruits and vegetables. Thank you very much. And the beautiful thing about the food business models in particular, and I know this firsthand from very painful experience actually, is that whether we're talking about the largest uh, mega corporations on the global scale, or we're talking about the local farmer family right down the way, all of those models are operating on very thin margins, right. which means a 1% or a 2% shift in consumer demand determines whether that model is profitable or not. That means we have incredible power each and every time, every day. We're picking what we're drinking and what we're eating. And my hope is that more and more of us will wield that power with consciousness, with love, with joy, knowing we are creating the kind of world, the kind of economy we want, and it's going to happen very, very quickly. Yeah, it already is happening. It's happening. Yeah. We only have a couple more minutes, but I want to hear about your having an event that's going to be very powerful in Boulder coming up in May. Yes. Please share. I hope you all will join us. Yes. Uh, we have a very powerful three-day curated summit. It's being hosted at a private retreat center right outside of Boulder, Colorado. May 17th through 19th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, between the Mother's Day weekend and the Memorial Day weekend. And we've brought in an amazing uh, lineup of executives, authors, speakers, experts who will help us understand massively mobilizing sustainability and deep leadership for the 21st century. Uh, don't miss it. It's, it's connecting all the kinds of dots between economy and ecology that we've been talking about. And I want to make sure the audience knows that with the special code, Dr. Nicola, DR for Dr. Nicola, all one word, you can get a 25% discount on your VIP all-access ticket. Just follow the links to the summit at whyonearth.org. It's the letter Y, O-N-E-A-R-T-H.org. Uh, we still have some tickets left. We're so excited to be doing a three-day summit right here in Colorado and hope to see many... Uh, friends and neighbors from the Roaring Fork Valley at this uh, amazing gathering. What can people learn? What will they walk away with? Do you think? So we're bringing together doctors, executives, educators, entrepreneurs. What they're going to learn is some of the five next biggest business opportunities globally. Uh, they're going to learn the six key uh, impediments to a sustainable future. And they're going to learn the five core things we can each be doing in our own lives as well as in our companies, our organizations, at our churches and places of faith, and our other community networks. And that way we are each empowered to become very powerful change makers. And uh, we're so excited. It's going to be just a, a fabulous, and of course the food and, and drinks are going to be great. Um, and just hope to, to see a lot of you there. Wonderful. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank You're you, Nicola. a wise man. Thank you for sharing all of your... Thank you so much, and thanks for doing what you're doing. Oh, my pleasure. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, check out AspenTalksHealth.com. I'll put up that link, Why on Earth, and the discount code for your 25% off, D-R-N-I-C-O-L-A, Dr. Nicola. 
Thank you.